Hi, this is Larson Hicks, and welcome to my podcast, where I rant and rave about whatever it is I'm currently thinking about, and also occasionally bring in much smarter guests for longer conversations about topics they're passionate about. Thanks for joining me. Let's get into it. Hello, it's Larson Hicks, and Happy New Year. It's good to uh, to to be back on here. It's been a minute since I uh, last recorded and uploaded anything for this channel. Um, if you're still a subscriber, congratulations! Um, you have uh, you've weathered the uh, the drought, the famine of content <laughs> on this channel. Um, I've never really committed to a a, a time, an amount of uh, time and energy to commit to this, but it is something I, I want to continue to do. As I'm able, and uh, I've I've mostly given a lot of this time and energy to um, to this new effort with uh, Rich Lusk, and that's been uh, about every two weeks we record something, so not super consistent there either. So I feel like I need to be I've got lots of stuff on my mind, um, and so I feel like I need to get on more frequently and and down and and sort of uh, unburden my brain uh, with all this stuff, and uh, figure I might as well do it here. Uh, for you. So this is kind of a weird, aimless um, episode. I'm going to try this and see how it goes. Um, and maybe uh, maybe this will be a, a, a format for future things. But it's kind of just a what's on my mind um, episode. And I, I'm going to cover um, perhaps a lot of different topics here. So we'll just see how it goes. Um, but it's the new year. I'm recording this on January the 4th, uh, 2023. So um, it's that time of year uh, where... Um, uh, as my wife uh, showed me from Babylon B, where where a man uh, takes his 13th annual before picture <laughs> in the mirror, um, uh, that my wife almost lost it last night reading that because because um, there may be somebody in her life who has done something like that uh, more than once. Um, I'm not quite sure, but uh, no, I I uh, it's funny because uh, when it comes to weight loss, there's a lot of people talking about. Uh, about health and weight loss and all that stuff. And this is the time of year that people really start to focus. I'm focusing. So I'm doing kind of my traditional thing that I do. Um, and I saw somebody post on Facebook the other day, uh, you know, I'm going to try to, I've lost a lot of weight. I'm doing this new, this person was doing like a, a, a carnivore diet and said, I've lost a ton of weight and I'm hoping that I can make it more of a lifestyle this time and not, not do this yo-yo thing. And I commented, um, why can't the yo-yo be, uh, be a lifestyle. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone thought I was joking. I'm really not actually. I I I can show you a, a screenshot. I've been tracking my weight on this app since 2011, so so over a decade. And like yo-yo is my thing. Um I you know, there's like a weight that I that like a max weight that I've allowed myself to get to a bunch of different times and uh, I know how to lose that weight. And once a year, once every two years, I decide, you know what, uh, I'm too fat and I need to, I need to get after it and I get after it and I lose like, honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a bigger guy. Maybe I'm, I'm about six foot. Um, you know, I, I can weigh 200 pounds and it doesn't look bad, like terrible. Um, I'm over 200 right now. I'm more like two, I'm almost 215, which is, which is fat, uh, definitely fat and fatter than I want to be. Um, but, uh, but honestly, like, I've, uh, even with the most aggressive, uh, long-term dieting and exercising, I've, I, I struggle to get below like 180. So like, I think 185 to 190 is probably where I'm supposed to be. Um, so anyway, but seriously, I, somebody, somebody tell me I'm wrong here, but why can't, um, 
why is that not a lifestyle? Like, why can't the lifestyle be, you know, I, I try to kind of maintain my weight and I don't obsess about my weight and my, um, and my fitness. Um, I try to, you know, run and exercise regularly and I, I try not to be, um, uh, a glutton. And then, uh, if I find myself fatter than I, I think is appropriate, then I, I buckle down for a couple of months and I get uh, skinny, skinnier. And then we start the cycle over again. And usually it takes about a year, maybe two years uh, to get back to a place where I'm like, Oh, it's time to do that again. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with that personally, but, um, but you know, uh, you do you, (laughs) I guess that's just how I've approached it. Um, what else? One of the, one of the topics on my mind uh, recently has been, um, has been authority, um, in the Christian life. Um, and I really think, um, Protestants, uh, have a terrible, um, relationship with authority. We just, we just struggle with, with, uh, submission to authority. I think we have all of these kind of existential crises because we don't have any sort of final authority. Our final authority is, uh, rather than sola scriptura, it's solo scriptura. It's like me and my Bible. What do I think? And and my friend uh, Josh Gibbs, who has a podcast called um, Proverbial, if you haven't checked it out, it's a tremendous podcast. I don't listen to it religiously. My oldest son does and tells me about the best episodes, and I go in and listen to those. But I really love everything. I've listened to probably you know, 30 different episodes, and they're all wonderful. So highly recommend it. But he, he uh, grew up... Uh, he, he, he talked about, he's Eastern Orthodox now and he grew up Protestant, you know, evangelical. And, and, and again, I'm paraphrasing what my son told me about the episode cause I haven't listened to it, but he said, basically he grew up in a family with a father who every single Sunday's tradition was to get in the car and just talk trash about the sermon that was preached. And, uh, when he established his own home, he just realized that's really unhealthy. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want my kids to live that way. And so he kind of fled for the most, a much more authoritarian kind of church, uh, where he just had to submit and it wasn't really up to him to decide what, what his doctrine was or what was right or wrong. And so he landed on Eastern Orthodox, uh, the Eastern Orthodox church. And I, you know, obviously I don't, I'm not Eastern Orthodox. I don't recommend you become Eastern Orthodox, but I, I totally understand where he's coming from. And, and it's a huge, it's a huge, uh, weight off your shoulders to just say, Hey, I'm under authority those decisions aren't my decisions. So I'm just going to follow what the church teaches. Uh, Protestants don't really get to say that. Like Protestants feel like we've got to figure every single thing out. And if we don't have every single jot and tittle of our doctrine worked out, then somehow we are, um, we're, you know, we're not real Christians. We're not serious Christians. And I just don't, I don't think, you know, I think there's a few people that are called to that work. Um, typically a pastor, you know, uh, theologians, scholars. Um, but I don't think most of us are. Um, and I think it's a real blessing to say, um, I'm not really sure what I believe on that topic. Um, but I support whatever it is my church teaches. (laughs) And, uh, and, uh, I'm not really interested in learning more about that right now. Uh, thanks, you know, uh, or having that discussion. Um, that's one side of it. I, d- just in general, I think um, church membership and, and authority and, and being under authority, we just kind of have this sort of um, we're we're Americans, you know. Part of our DNA is 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 sort of uh, and our origin story is like rebelling against authority. E- even though I know that's not totally that's not true, 
Um, there's a lot of people who would argue with that. Um, I think it probably actually kind of is, but that's beside the point. Um, but then as Protestants, our name is Protestants, right? I mean, we're our, our, uh, our name is like we rebelled and protested against um, the church and did our own thing. So it's part of our DNA there too. If you're from the Western United States, you know, it's all about the pioneers and the wild West and that's part of their DNA too. So it's like, you just get for a lot of Americans being your own independent, you know, the, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps and being your own man. Like that's really part of our DNA and it's hard to shake. And I think it's, um, there's obviously some great things about it. There's courage and bravery and self-reliance and all that good stuff. But it's also, I think really troublesome. Um, I see in marriages and in families, I see a lot of dads who just don't, um, who don't have, aren't under any authority and, and bristle under any authority. They can't find a job, a boss that they respect and will follow. They can't find a church uh, or leaders that they agree with or will follow. And, and that's just, a you know, God, the, the, the world is hierarchical. Um, God built it that way. Sorry. Uh, it just is that way. Everyone is either above or below you in a, in some sort of hierarchy and multiple different layers of hierarchies. This is the, the world that God made. And, um, uh, I always think of that fleet Fox's song, um, helplessness blues, where he says, I was raised up believing I was somehow unique. Um, a snowflake distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. But, but now after some thinking, I think I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. Um, I have that memorized cause I've, I've listened to and sung that song a bazillion times. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good song. Um, I, and I love that those opening lines, but I think, I think that's kind of the, um, it's like existential crisis that a lot of Americans have is just this feeling that like everything is up to me. Um, I have to go figure out what I'm going to be in the world. I have to figure out who I am. I have to define that for myself. Um, I can't, there, there's no one above me. It's just me. And, um, and, uh, and then, and then that kind of calcifies into like this un- inability to submit to anything. Um, and it just, it just, it, it rears its ugly head in a lot of places. So if you're, you know, one obvious place to start, if you're a Christian man, if your family are not, if you're not under the authority of a church, do that. Um, it will be good for your soul. Um, and, and, and I would recommend you become a member of an imperfect church. Um, I know it's hard to swallow, but try that. Um, all right, I'll move on. Um, I'm also thinking about teenagers. My, um, I'm, our church is, is, uh, we do, we do, we only do Sunday school one month out of every quarter. So we take one month and we just focus on Sunday school and then we take the next two months off. Um, we found that to be a good rhythm for our church. And every time we do Sunday school, we always have one adult class that is either on parenting or on marriage. Cause we feel like it's one of our distinctives is keeping our kids. So we feel like family and marriage and, and child rearing is really essential, uh, to our focus, uh, as a church at this, at this phase, the season. So we don't think we can teach on that stuff enough. And so we're just going to keep doing it. So this, this, um, this January we'll be teaching, we'll be doing, um, uh, on the parenting side, uh, a class on teenagers. Our church is like, uh, 
is like 70% kids. It's just a ton of kids. We're about 300 members and, um, and yeah, probably 200 of those are kids. Um, and mostly under the teenage uh, phase, but we probably have, you know, a solid 25, 30 teenagers, 40, maybe, I don't know what the number is, but it's, it's a good chunk of kids. And, uh, and, and mostly early teens, we have, we have like just one or two kids here and there who are like leaving to college, including some of my own. My oldest is just committed to going to, uh, to New St. Andrews college, which is my alma mater. So I'm pumped for him. Um, but yeah, so we're going to teach, uh, we're going to teach on, on teenagers. Um, uh, I'm going to teach on, um, teenagers generally. And I think I'm going to also teach on, uh, raising teenage boys, and uh, Darren Drown is one of my um, one of the members of our church, and he's a, a parish leader. He's going to be teaching on girls. He's got five girls, and he's got two of them in college, a third about to go off to college. So, so yeah, uh, we're a younger church, so uh, he and I happen to be the old guys who who have some experience with teen with teens. But um, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. I think um, there's a lot of interesting stuff to to dive into with with raising teenagers, and boys and girls are so different. And how you're raising them, what you're doing in those last years. I, I haven't raised any teenage girls yet, so I'm eagerly looking forward to Darren's lesson on raising girls. Um, I'm uh, I've got three teenage boys, and so um, I'm pretty well acquainted with what that looks like. And although I'll say all three of my boys, teenage boys, are very different from each other. And so um, my wife made a comment at a ladies' group recently where she was talking about. She just said in passing, this wasn't like a thought that she was wanting to, a point she was wanting to make, but she just kind of said in passing, you know, these early, these, these, um, these little years, and she's talking to a bunch of moms and little kids. She said, you know, these little years, it's so simple, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really gets complicated when they're teenagers. And she said, she looked up and all of these women's jaws were like on their chest and their eyes were wide open. Like, wait, what did you just say? You're saying it's easy to have little kids. And my wife was like, Oh, I'm sorry. You guys didn't know this. (laughs) Like, uh, she was just saying it just gets a lot more complicated when they're older. And and I think the point she was trying to make, and I'll, I'll reiterate this, uh, you know, the work you do in the little years pays dividends for, for the teenage years and all of the nightmare stories that anybody outside of the church will tell you about how just awful teenagers are. Um, I don't think that has to be true, uh, by any stretch, but, but my wife's comment that it's more complicated is totally true because you're dealing with adults. You're basically dealing with adults who are living at home. You're living in a home with lots of adults in it, um, with different interests and desires and motivations and plans. And that's complicated. Um, and you got kids who are sinners, um, you know, teenagers who are sinners and who, have much greater powers of emotional manipulation, have much greater powers of uh, reasoning and different things. And so it's just, it's just a different dynamic. Um, when they're little, it's like, you know, you feed them, you put them to bed, you know, um, and you, uh, and you, you discipline them and it's pretty straightforward, you know? Um, but it, it's not quite that way when they're teens. Um, I did have a conversation with Nate Wilson recently on this topic and he had some really great wisdom. And then I saw that on <clears throat> his podcast stories or soul food, he recently talked about teenage boys and mom's relationship to teenage boys. 
Um, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but I saw that Cannon posted a couple quotes and, and it looked great. Um, he had some really great points. So I'm looking forward to looking at that in more detail before I, uh, I do my lesson. Um, what else? I've been thinking about, uh, well, I've been, I've been on a dystopian novel kick. Um, I read 1984 a while ago, years ago, uh, and really enjoyed it and decided to, that I hadn't, I hadn't hit, I hadn't read uh, brave new world. Um, and so I don't know how I've managed to make it to 40 without reading that book, but here we are. Um, so I read that over the break and it was, it was great, uh, disturbing and great. Um, I think, um, I think a lot more prescient, a lot more, um, you know, I, th- I think, uh, 1984 does a good job of sort of, uh, describing what a authoritarian government does and how it behaves. And, and I think it hits the nail on the head in a lot of ways, but I think brave new world does a really good job of, of getting at sort of how, how we're going to get there and why we're going to get there. And, and, um, that's really good. Um, and I'm also reading, uh, I'm reading children of men now, uh, PD James, uh, children of men. And it looks like it's kind of got some similar th- of some very similar themes to brave new world. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we're living in a time, uh, where, wow, where underpopulation is a real concern. I think I saw somebody ask Elon Musk what like big issues he's most concerned about that he doesn't think he has a solution for. And, uh, and, and depopulation was, was the thing that he said in the interview. Uh, it's a real big deal. I know that Matt Carpenter, who's a pastor at our church, he does, um, every, a couple times a year, he does like a literature conference, um, that he puts together and organizes. And I believe that he did one on the dystopian novels. And I am, I uh, missed that one and hope to, uh, I know that those, those were recorded. I think they're on the Trinity Reformed Church Huntsville YouTube channel. So I, I need to get those bad boys out and listen to them. Uh, maybe after I read all the books. So I feel like I can engage with uh, his content. But um, yeah, I'll check that out. By the way, Matt's got a wonderful podcast called um, called The Good Life. And, uh, you know, Matt's an, uh, a Southern boy. And, uh, and you know, I think... Um, if you're a Yankee like I am, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, but, I, but you know, El Paso is halfway between Dallas and, and Los Angeles. And I feel like we've got probably more in common with, with California in a lot of ways. I, my, my dad would kill me if he heard me say that, but, but, um, but it, it's just not, you know, Texas already is kind of questionable if it's the South. I don't really think it is. I think you get past the green curtain in East Texas and it starts feeling more Southern. So like my mom lives in Tyler, Texas, and that feels a lot more Southern than the rest of Texas. So I might grant you that East Texas is the South, but most of Texas is kind of its own thing. And then El Paso is really the Southwest. It's really kind of its own thing. It's New Mexico, Mexico, you know, uh, it's kind of its own thing. Anyway, I digress. Um, Matt, uh, Matt, you know, I think a lot of us Yankees look at Matt and think, you know, this guy, this guy can't be all that smart. He's got a, a thick Alabama accent. And then you, he opens his mouth and actually starts talking and you realize this guy know, is, is incredibly well-read, well-versed in everything and is a real, real uh, sharp thinker. So he's got this podcast called uh, The Good Life and uh, he just kind of keeps plugging away at this thing. 
and inviting people on. And I've been listening and, and it just gets more and more impressive. The folks that have been jumping on his podcast and just recently he had Rod Dreher, uh, the author of the Benedict option and live not by lies. He had him on the show and it was fantastic. But anyway, I, I would encourage you to check out Matt's podcast, subscribe to that if you haven't already. Cause it's, it's really good. Um, and a lot of fun. So, okay. Moving along. Uh, books. I talked about dystopian. I, the, the other book I've been <clears throat> slogging my way through, and I say slog, it's really not a difficult read. I just, I read a chapter and then I, and then I put it away and forget to jump back in. But, um, Hilaire Belloc, uh, his book, the servile state, I don't know that it's like his magnum opus on, on what he calls distributism. I think there's another one. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it, but, um, He's a Catholic, and he's he's pretty critical, I think, of Protestants. I think he kind of ties a lot of the evils of capitalism to the Protestant Reformation, or to sort of some changes that happen concurrently. He doesn't he doesn't at all point to the Protestant Reformation as the problem, but he does point to I think it's King Henry the Eighth. And the way I've summarized this, and I think it's fascinating. I think he's really onto something. He defines capitalism in a different way than. I think we normally would define it. I think for average Joe, capitalism just means free market. Um, for him, he's really more talking about f- crony capitalism, like free market that's controlled by a very small elite uh, that owns almost everything. Um, and so that's his that's his foil. That's who he's attacking. That's capitalism, the capitalism that he's attacking. I think... Um, G.K. Chesterton referring to Belloc and, and distributism, I think he summarized it by saying capitalism is great. Uh, the only problem is that there just aren't enough capitalists. There's just not enough of it going on. Um, not enough people participating as as owners of businesses. Um, and uh, that's the problem. I don't know that he's got any great solutions, um, but I do. Th- I, I think the solution is mostly pastoral. I think I think we haven't done in the church, in the Protestant church, probably, especially, we've just done a terrible job of helping families think about work and business and ownership and money. You know, it's just, we're just weird Gnostics. Um, I, I think Anabaptism and, and, uh, and uh, dispensationalism and and kind of like premillennial eschatology. I think probably a lot of that plays into it. Um, there's kind of a Gnosticism that goes along with a lot of that stuff. I don't know what all the reasons are, but it seems like most Americans have kind of just checked out and, and, and have sort of accepted the idea of being workers. And the idea of being an owner or being an entrepreneur, that's like a weird special class and category of people. And, and it's not really something that Christians do because really ambition for money or for, um, you know, ownership of a business, that's really kind of dirty and probably you're probably sinning if you want that. Um, it's interesting, you know, the church is willing, what sins the church is willing to speak out against. Like you don't hear churches speaking out against gluttony. You don't hear the church speaking out really against drunkenness, um, or laziness, you know, there's a lot of the seven deadlies that the church didn't even touch. Uh, but, but, but greed is one that we seem to be happy to, to talk trash about because most of us aren't wealthy. Most of us are, have happily accepted the, the role of, of a worker. 
um, or a slave, really. Um, and the book, Servile State, is really talking about how slavery is kind of the default mode of the world, of the economy. You have owners and you have slaves. And his definition of a slave is somebody who works for a subsistence. You basically trade all of your time in exchange for a roof and clothes and food. And, uh, and frankly, if you look at America today, it'd be hard to argue that that's not what we mostly have. We have owners, owner class, the elites who own, you know, the big companies. Um, and then we have employees, you know, who don't own any of it and, and they make good money. They make a good, they have good subsistence. They have lots of, you know, disposable income, um, to spend on stupid stuff. But, um, but your time is not your own. You've, you've contracted all of your time to an employer. So anyway, I think the servile state, I'm working my way through it because I really do think he's onto something. I think it's really good. Um, I'm kind of in the second half of the book and we'll see if he's got solutions. I think, like I said, I think the solution is pastoral. I think pastors, churches need to catch a vision for, for this stuff and start teaching and preaching on it a lot. Um, this came up in an elder meeting recently because we're thinking about fundraising and and the whole topic of teaching about money feels icky to so many of us in church leadership. And I totally get it. I feel that way too. And I'm just trying to think about why do I feel that way? And it's funny because I, I asked this question in our elder meeting. I said, okay, if we were to make a list of the top three biggest issues in all of the marriages in our church, what what number would money be? Would money be on that list? And it's like, yeah, money would be on that list for almost every family. So if money is a challenge, problem, stressor for most Christians, and the job of the church is to shepherd the flock, shouldn't we be teaching about it? You know, like, shouldn't we be teaching a lot about it? Um, anyway, I just think that's interesting. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not throwing stones. I'm, I'm throwing those stones right at, at me. I'm a leader at a church who sets the tone and agenda for what we teach. And I'm one of the guys that that's responsible for that. And I just am, am being, you know, reflective there and going, huh, we should probably talk a lot more about this and think a lot more about it. I've done a lot of teaching and thinking about the household and about work and about, you know, seasons of a man's life. But I think there's a lot more work to be done there. Um, and just ambition in general, I think men in the church ha- don't have nearly enough ambition probably um, <clears throat> in their careers. I think, um, I think the church in our circles tends to really push men to be more ambitious about like family worship and about disciplining their kids and all that stuff, which is all you should be ambitious about that stuff and focus on. But, but if you can't go out into the world and lead and crush it, you know, in the name of Jesus, that's a problem. Um, I was just, uh, I, I got on a rabbit trail the other day reading, um, if you haven't read Eugen Rosenstock, Husey, he's a, a really wonderful, um, Christian thinker from the forties, fifties, sixties. He taught at Dartmouth. He's from Germany. I took an elective on him, uh, taught by Peter Lightheart when I was at New St. Andrews. And he's got a concept of the cross of Christ, and he talks about, um, you know, this idea of of being sort of stretched out on the cross. The cross of reality is what he what he calls it, and it's it's um, inside, outside, uh, past, and future. And and uh, and he's just talking about how Christ and we, sh- Christ lived kind of stretched out on that cross of reality. He was connected to the past, the future, 
inside and outside. And he really fleshes it out. It's really fascinating. Um, and I was shocked to find that he actually said some things that totally resonate with like, um, Friedman's book, uh, failure of nerve, which me and me and, um, rich lusk are obsessed with in our podcast, uh, uh, which is called, um, got a minute, our latest, um, we had an episode about, um, we did an episode about, um, empathy and, uh, we ended up talking a ton about Friedman's book because he, he basically says leaders need to be differentiated. Leaders need to not get sucked into the emotion and the, and not, don't need to lead by consensus. And they actually have to have some objectivity in order to make, to lead. If you're too empathetic, then that's a problem. Some really interesting stuff there. That's like very countercultural today, but, um, but, um, but Rosenstock QC, um, talks about, okay, so inside is sacred, holy, it's the church, it's the home. Um, if you were to talk about family members and plot family members on this pair, this, this cross of reality inside is mom outside is dad. Um, past is son and future is, is daughter. Um, I won't explain all that, but you can probably try to start to fill that in, but outside is dad. You know, dad is going outside and engaging with the world and building out in the world. And, and just more generally, he's saying Christians, that has to be one dimension of your life. Um, if your life is just an obsession with the inside, with just the church, with just the home, then you're going to be out of whack. You're going to be out of balance. You're not doing what you're not living a full orbed life. Um, as Christ did and the great commission calls us to go out. And so he talks about, you know, go, to build things, to break new ground, to, to move things forward. You have to be out, go in the outside, um, inside again, it was the church and, and the home. Um, he talks about how the present is not just the sort of fulfillment of the past, but the, but we know our past as Christians and the future is, um, we also know the future. Like we know the end, we have a telos. Um, and he talks about how the present is really the, is really the conflict, the convergence, the, the, um, it's, it's the collision of those two things. The present is, is the past and the future colliding with each other. Um, and again, like a conservative is somebody who wants to just live in the past and just preserve and conserve what, what was in the past and not have anything change. That's a, that's a ditch. That's a bad thing. A progressive just wants to live in the future and wants to have no regard for the past and where we came from just wants to look forward. And so the, the present is, is us knowing the future, knowing where we're headed, uh, but bringing about, um, bringing about, um, through our work and our effort, um, the, the present. Anyway, I, I won't dive deep into that. I thought it was fascinating though. Uh, Oigen Rosenstock, you see most of his work is on, there's a website. I think it's the ERH project. <clears throat> there's a website where you can get transcripts from a bunch of his lectures and, um, stuff, but I'm, I'm a big fan, um, of his. All right. Um, Oh, I, I want to mention just on this topic again of work and ambition. Uh, Aaron Wren has a podcast. He used to have a he used to be called the masculinist. He had a, he had a newsletter called the masculinist. He talked and, uh, and wrote a lot on men's issues. He's broadened his, his, his purview a little. And, and he still talks a lot about those things, but his, his podcast is now just the Aaron Wren show. Aaron Wren is spelled R E N N. 
and I think the dude's great. I really love Aaron Wren. Um, and his, he had a, an episode recently. This might be the most recent episode on why evangelicals are not in leadership positions. And it was fascinating. I mean, he talked about DeSantis. He talked about Supreme Court. You got a lot of Catholics. You have a lot of Catholics in leadership positions, but you don't have a lot of evangelicals. And uh, he really does a great job of, of kind of thinking through some of those issues. Uh, this whole authority thing was one of those things. Um, but he, he made a point that I just thought was so great. He was, he, was at, he was talking about kind of the concept of salt and light and the concept of a faithful presence. That's, that's a very evangelical thing. Christians just need to be salt and light in the workplace. So you have a faithful presence in the workplace. And he basically said that view is really, it really can be distilled to uh, you can work in any number of godless companies uh, without getting fired and, and just keep your head down and maybe do a good deed every now and then. Um, he told this story he heard at like a faith and work conference about a woman who, uh, screwed up and was in a meeting, was getting chewed out. And some man stepped forward and said, I made that mistake. That was me. And afterwards she was like, Hey, why'd you do that? That was me that made the mistake. He's like, well, because Jesus took my place. So I'm taking her place. And it was like, Whoa, what a profound, uh, but it's like, that's, oh man. I mean, I'm not saying that that's ever a bad, ever not something you can or should do or whatever, but that's like, that's really it. Like for Christians thinking about work, like it's just goofy little stories. Like I once evangelized this guy or I once, you know, uh, who knows one day, maybe I'm going to like present the gospel to somebody and that's going to be, and that's going to make it all worthwhile. And it's like, you're really going to pour every working hour you have every week into working to, to advancing the mission of some godless company and not make any waves. It's like, what did Joseph do? Like, what did Daniel do? Like, what what have the men in the scriptures done who have been involved in king kingdoms? What did David do? Like, these dudes were making waves. Uh, they were disrupting things and leading in ways that were that couldn't be overlooked. Um, and it's just I don't I don't see what the justification is for Christians to just keep their head down for their entire careers and, and, uh, do whatever thing their boss asked them to do and, and never take any sort of never, never have any ambition to, to lead or to change the way things are done at their company to make things better. You know, it's just keep your head down, don't get fired. And maybe one day you'll be there to witness to somebody. And this is like a bigger topic. I feel like I'm just realizing this. I don't know how it is that I've gone my whole life without really thinking about this, but I just am realizing that for evangelicals, the ultimate expression of your Christianity, the ultimate experience um, of your faith is you presenting the gospel in some some at some in some way somewhere like that's it being an evangelical i grew up in this world the most important thing you can do is witness to someone so like if you have a microphone in front of you whether you're an actor or an athlete you gotta you gotta try to if you can say like jesus died for your sins with that microphone dude like you that's that's as christian as you can possibly be 
And I just think it's absurd. Like, I, 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 and I, I've never noticed that, you know, I've never like thought, like thought about that in, in, in that way, but it's just absurd. Like God didn't put us on this world to try to distill this formula of salvation down to this, to as small a presentation as we can. And then, and then the highest best use of our time energy is to find a way to say that formula in, in front of a microphone. Like that's not it. Um, he put us on this planet, you know, to, to, uh, be fruitful, multiply and subdue the earth. Uh, subduing the earth is not handing out tracks. Um, and then Christ, you know, recapitulation of the creation mandate is all authority has been given to me. Therefore, I think we forget that when we talk about the great commission, we skip the first part where Jesus is saying, Hey, all authority, both in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go ye therefore and, um, disciple the nations, um, baptizing them, um, in my name. Um, and, and you know, again, disciple the nations does not mean hand out tracks. It doesn't mean say the, you know, distill all my teaching to one little formula so that you can come up with a conversion experience where somebody says the sinner's prayer, uh, and becomes a Christian sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. That's not a thing in the Bible. Okay. That's an evangelical tradition. Conversionism is, uh, is the evangelical version of, you know, of baptismal regeneration. You know, it's it like the evangelicals are quick to criticize, you know, Catholics for being sacerdotalists when, when evangelicals do the same thing, your campfire experience, that's the pinnacle. Um, anyway, I'm, I won't rant on this for too long cause I get worked up, but, but I, I really do think mission outside you know, engaging with the world, um, building, being leaders, making the world a better place, subduing the earth under the authority, you know, with the authority, going with the authority of Jesus Christ and bringing his kingdom um, on earth as it is in heaven. Like these are the things that I think Christians ought to be about. And when you get a Ron DeSantis who goes, hey, in my state, I'm going to rule in a way that I think is just and right and good. And my faith and, and, and hundred percent is guided by his faith, but he doesn't have to get up and say, and Jesus Christ is my personal savior. Every time he's a microphone in front of him, or we're going to not wear masks because God loves you and uh, you're a sinner and you need to pray this prayer. Like, that's not like he's being a, he's being a Christian by leading well, by taking responsibility and being ambitious, uh, for, uh, Anyway, I, the, I'll say one other thing about the Aaron Wren podcast. You should totally listen to it because he, he talked about calling and about how evangelicals have a weak view of calling. And he, the example he gave for himself was he was like, I've got this newsletter and I've got lots of followers and tons of people that listen to my podcast. And he's like, I'm realizing that God has called me to influence the church how do I know that? Cause he's given me this newsletter with tons of followers. He's given me the skill to write and people listen and are, and are paying attention. And so now I have a calling. I have a, I have an obligation actually 
to be a good steward of these gifts and, and, and do this work that God's made me to do. And, uh, and, and, and this again goes back to authority. You know, I think authority and hierarchy, you know, the, the negative view that I think we Americans tend to think when we think of hierarchy and classes, uh, we, we tend to think of entitlement people that are higher up the food chain, who are entitled, who, who just inherited a bunch of money and just think that the world owes them something just because of their birth. I don't think that's ever how, I think that's, that's the propaganda against class and against nobility and against hierarchy. The reality in a Christian world, the reality is that the world's hierarchical to whom much is given, much is required. Um, when you have higher status or higher influence or greater, um, uh, resources, God requires more of you. He requires you to do more um, and make a bigger impact, and that's a burden. That's a burden, um, but that's the that's it, it's it's so it's not about entitlement and what you get. It's what you have been given, and therefore, how do you live? Um, so anyway, I'm I'm ranting. I know about a bunch of things, but that was kind of the point of today's episode was just to kind of rant and uh, declutter or deburden my brain with all the stuff that I'm thinking about right now. So um, I hope this hasn't been too attention deficit for you. Maybe this is a peer into my ADD brain um, for you who uh, who don't uh, get a chance to talk with me very often. Those who know me are like, yeah, Larson's doing the thing he does where he just rants about 25 things but um but um yeah it's it's fun for me i hope this was an interesting episode i hope that uh, you're having a great uh beginning of your year uh, i hope you crush it this year um i'm trying to crush it this year i have okay so i'll tell you i started talking about habits um uh, my my this is my like weight loss thing that i've that you know i've tried a bunch of things over the years and this is the thing that works for me it's it's really like two things one is I just don't eat until like one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay. Uh, that's just easy for me. Like I haven't eaten. It's, it's almost noon right now. I haven't had any food yet today. I've had a couple cups, cups of coffee. I'm not hungry. I mean, I could eat, but I, I just, it's so easy for me and it takes so little headspace, like, like diets and like counting calories, which I've done or doing the keto thing, which I've done that stuff takes so much energy and effort. And like, you're thinking about it all the time. Fasting is like, it just don't eat until like the afternoon at some point. And so like, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, you know, if I get hungry early then I will, <clears throat> if I'm feeling like, Oh man, I'm really hungry. But generally I just try not to eat in the morning. So like my son walked in here this morning, God bless him with a, a dozen donuts and said, Hey, I'm blessing the family today with some donuts. I had a gift certificate. I just said, no, thanks, man. Maybe I'll have one this afternoon. <clears throat> So that's like my, my main thing. The second is, uh, is I do try to cut carbs a little bit. Like I just, and, and the biggest way I do that is I just don't drink any beer during the week. I I'm like a, have a beer every night kind of guy typically. Um, especially when I'm hanging out, like when I, we have people over or whatever, like I'll definitely crack a beer. So I just like, don't have a beer, uh, in the evenings, just don't drink alcohol in general during the week and just save that for the weekend. That's like the second thing. And I know there's a ton of calories and like beer and wine. And, and so I just don't drink it during the week. Um, <clears throat> and I don't like, okay, so I do have this, this, uh, 
this real Achilles heel of a Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream so much. I think they made a deal with the devil and, um, and their ice cream's amazing. So I, I will tuck into, you know, a little bit of ice cream on a, on a pretty regular basis in the evening if I'm, if I'm staying up late. Um, and so I just cut that off too. Uh, so it's really just like, okay, try to ease back on the carbs, no alcohol during the week and just don't eat until like the afternoon. And that generally I do that. Oh, and, and then I just, I try to, I feel like diets 85% and exercise is like that little 15% sort of like, um, catalyst that really kicks it up a notch. And so I, I do try to like run a couple times a week or just do something, you know, active a couple times a week. And I feel like if I do all those things, I'm going to lose like 20 or 30 pounds over the course of three or four months. If I just do that, um, maybe less than that. Uh, I could show you, I could show you my diagram of all my last like 15 years. And I do this, you know, every, like I said, every 18 months or so. And I usually lose like 20, 30 pounds. And then I slowly put it back on over the course of a year and a half and I do it again. So anyway, that's what I'm doing. I'm being very cocky about it. Um, God's going to make this one just be so much more difficult and it's not going to work. And I'm going to be eating my own words here. But anyway, I, uh, thanks for tuning in and just listen to me rant on this episode. I uh, hope you're having a great, uh, great day, great week and, uh, look forward to, uh, coming back and, and having you on the show again. All right. We will talk to you later.